Hey there, it's Kernan Mannion. I am the executive director of CPR, the Center for Physician Rights, and this is a podcast post of a blog post article entitled New Safe Harbor Wellness Programs Being Instituted by State Legislatures to Protect Physicians in Getting Help. And this is actually the longer version of the article. If you want the shorter version, it's linked to in this longer article. So truth be told, it's uh, not so much a blog post as really a short-length novel. And since everyone's not uh, uh, into reading long-form journalism with uh, Proustian-length sentences, no matter how erudite or witty, the shorter version is for you. And that shorter version has the same essential elements, like a stew, but without some of the spices and with a lot less heat. So this one is a bit lengthier, but lots of spice and a whole bunch of footnotes as well. What I'll do with regard to the abbreviations, of which there may be many, is I'll try to indicate what that abbreviation stands for, since you don't have the visual uh, translation of it. And uh, I'll simply reference uh, some footnotes that are explanatory when we come upon them. New safe harbor wellness programs being instituted by state legislatures to protect physicians in getting help. Are these wellness programs moving in on PHP's territory to offer safe access to psychologically oriented help? And are they safe? Hmm, yes, and maybe not. A coaching colleague just shared a recent blog post from Happy MD's Dyke Drummond pertaining to recent bills and enacted laws in three states, manifestly designed to protect the confidentiality of physicians seeking help for psychologically oriented wellness services in the context of their professional lives. You may have thought that your confidentiality was already protected in seeking such services. Alas, to paraphrase one PHP director, you would have been mistaken. I'm glad that Dyke has shared these developments. He seems enthusiastic and hopeful that this will remedy physicians' reluctance to get mental health help. While on the surface there appears to be cause to be reservedly enthusiastic and hopeful, I've got numerous and growing reservations. I still see significant danger for physicians who seek any such services from these newly minted wellness programs, especially if they're operated by any party affiliated in any way with boards or PHPs. I maintain grave concerns about the ever-evasive, chameleon-like identity of PHPs and their boundaryless fluidity with boards or MLBs. Of the three states which have this legislation, South Dakota's and Indiana's appear most straightforward and indeed secure. Virginia's, on the other hand, remains obscure, despite my reading it several times. And so I can't give it a thumbs up because I can't make heads or tails of it. Which, by the way, is one of the problems with this sort of legislation. If you, a reasonably intelligent professional, can't make sense of it, you can be certain of one thing. You don't have a solid footing to protect your rights. Perhaps someone could offer in the comments a concise translation of Virginia's legal speak and what the law really says. The newly legislated wellness programs. First, the good news. Why I believe these bills and laws, at least two of the three, are helpful. It's not per se in what they propose, as much as in what they signify. They demonstrate legislators' genuine concern about physicians not being able to safely get psychological help without being pulled into the boards and the PHP's crazy-making universe and being driven to either suicide or bankruptcy 
and a psychically broken life of morally assaulted despondency. Clearly, these initiatives are being brought forth in part by some who are genuinely concerned about physician well-being. For that, and especially for those who are active in pushing forward legislation initiatives that serve to genuinely help physicians while also protecting their rights, I think we all owe our appreciation. A lot of social justice legislative advocacy work like this goes on unseen. These legislative efforts give formal recognition that docs as a whole are in trouble with burnout, the cumulative toll of trauma and PTSD and deep moral injury, and they need exquisitely skillful help that is focused, effective, readily available, and airtight fail-safe to obtain. But Are these wellness services? Well, if you call a medic's stemming a life-threatening hemorrhage of a soldier's traumatic injury a wellness service, okay. So in a very indirect, non-accusatory way, these new laws recognize that getting help through a PHP may be dangerous for physicians' careers and their personal well-being. But from my perspective... And, disclaimer, I have not read the deliberations behind each of these bills. Each of them tiptoes around the predatory culprits which have made safely getting help impossible in the first place. Nevertheless, and most importantly, these legislators recognize that the help physicians must get must be safe and protected from incurring any harm from the pseudo-benevolence and the self-interested referral of exclusively contracted PHPs, physician health programs, which feed their monstrously ravenous ASAM-predominated impaired physician rehabilitation program referral funnel. ASAM is the American Society of Addiction Medicine. They seem also to recognize that getting psychological help in any way is dangerous, as if you have to report it to an entity such as a board or a credentialing entity for your staff appointment or your employment. It could irreparably harm you, as it could suck you into the MRTC vortex, the Medical Regulatory Therapeutic Complex Vortex, which, uh, from which you really have little chance of escape or career survival. So it's absolutely got to be safe for medical boards prying eyes in their assaultive police power overreach. My apologies if I offend some in this podcast and post. I recognize that these critical descriptors of boards and PHPs contained in this essay are both generalizations and are very strong assertions to make. I suspect that not all boards and PHPs are as violative as those I've become familiar with through hundreds of physician stories, but my harsh appraisals are based on conversations with over 500 physicians over the past several years as executive director of CPR, the Center for Physician Rights, and alas, they concur with my own personal experience. Barbed though it may be, I hope my critique will be seen as an invitation to straightforward dialogue with concerned legislators and other leaders considering proposing such bills. Should any legislator, board, or PHP leader, or any medical leader wish to have an open discussion, perhaps even as a group of us via an interactive webinar, I would welcome hosting such or participating as a guest. I think such frank point-counterpoint dialogue would benefit all of us. Despite recently being publicly portrayed by one medical board in an international presentation as a dangerously mentally ill physician who deserves only ridicule as a noxious insect and whose opinion, apparently especially 
those critical of boards and PHPs and their national associations should be disregarded as meaningless psychotic babbling, I promise I can hold it together and make myself sufficiently presentable for such a group dialogue. Why these wellness program bills may be inadequate, if not dangerous. First, they generally legitimize PHPs as the widely accepted deliverer of both physician impairment and now of psychological wellness services. And there's no basis, in fact, for affirming either, except for PHPs' relentless self-affirmations that they are the definitive go-to authority. Sorry to differ. They aren't. In a significant number of cases, there are a bunch of recovering drunks and druggies, some who've relapsed numerous times, who've had their records expunged through connections, but who meet out medicalized punishment like brainwashed Stockholm Syndrome detainees. By legislators giving such tacit approval, they unwittingly feed docs into a dangerous PHP system with its preferred relationships that more resembles a self-interested referral scheme, if not a RICO, a racketeering influence criminal organization, and perpetuates its lack of definitional and thus legal delimiting boundaries. They don't recognize PHP's inherent lack of independence from boards, and they still make no effort to hold PHPs and medical boards accountable for their past denial of rights. These key concerns are now detailed. No accounting for past harms. I recognize that the purpose of these bills is sincerely well-meaning. Well, at least it appears that way to afford the safe operation of a physician wellness program. But these bills still indirectly give deference to PHPs as the wellness program deliverers. But many contend that it is these very physician health programs perpetuated the harms that drove the production of these new safe harbor wellness program laws. These bills or laws, whichever they may be, do not account for past harms by these invasive boards and PHPs which have craftily punished via medicalization, indeed extraordinary rendition, physicians who have sought help, many in contexts that were entirely outside of any patient complaint or quality of practice concern. To me, ignoring these harms is like telling Jack the Ripper that he can continue to date as long as we don't hear another peep or scream. In North Carolina, the state auditor essentially stated in 2014 that the North Carolina Physicians Health Program, NCPHP, had violated the due process rights of all 1,140 physicians it psychiatrically assessed under its COI peer review camouflage identity over the preceding decade. Neither NCPHP nor the medical board NCMB nor any component of state government, including the governor, the attorney general, or the state auditor, did anything to investigate the systematized wrongdoing or to mitigate its harms. Let me repeat those core features. 1,140 physicians, which the auditor reviewed that NCPHP had evaluated over the preceding decade, denied requisite due process, even under its declared identity then as a peer review program, requisite by law, via deceptive practice of this peer-review entity posing as a state agency with immunity while denying each and every one of them their fundamental due process rights. 
One can speculate as to why this lack of follow-up might be the case. Gargantuan potential financial liability, for one. Nastily unattractive international visibility for another. Who'd want to practice in a state where a physician's rights and their very careers could be so recklessly assaulted? Nice beaches and mountains, eh, Doc? So sorry you're unemployed and can't practice as a doc anymore anywhere in the world. Sure wish we had better laws here, but hey, what can you do? That seems to be the attitude. These safe harbor wellness programs laws allow PHPs to remain ill-defined in their medical legal identity and accountability. Doing so gives them continued opportunity to do harm that will still go unpunished and allow them to continue to feed their preferred network. In short, there's been no reckoning of the harms done. They've all been swept under the rug. The elusive chameleon identities of PHPs. PHPs operate as chameleons under diverse and continuously changing deceptive identities that then become ensconced in state law and give them protection. Witness this sampling describing PHPs' roles. Peer review, case manager, screening program, facilitator of referral, of course, to a preferred program. Providing help under the guise of a benevolent, trust me, I'm your friend identity, and then pouncing a surprise revelation is equivalent to an accounting agency presenting itself as a specially knowledgeable tax preparer offering to help you prepare your taxes and use all available loopholes. And then after submitting your taxes, informing you that they were actually working for the IRS and what you said may be held against you. Oh, and that you're being sent to Kansas for a four-day evaluation of your competency to ethically manage your finances and to investigate you for criminal theft, and that after that you'll be sent to a three-month preferred physician's accounting camp for thorough rehabilitation in your approach to tax preparation. So as to protect society, you'll be monitored afterwards for five years, not only for your ethical tax preparation, but for every expenditure you make. And you'll have to report to your account parole officer for random production of all purchases and receipts. And for good measure, you'll be attending PHP Continuing Ed, run by group facilitators with the personality of Nurse Ratched, who will send us reports of your improved behavior for years to come. And if you balk at this, you'll immediately be reported to the IRS as a criminal tax cheat, and you'll lose all rights to your license to make a living as a physician, as, after all, your medical license is a privilege and not a right. And you shouldn't be able to operate in such a dangerous way that threatens to harm patient safety because of your awful ethics of accounting. Who knows, you're probably fleecing patients. After all, your irresponsible behavior besmirched the vaunted integrity of the entire medical profession. As facetiously absurd as this analogy is, I regret to report that the reality of these career and psyche-destroying enterprises, a disturbing number of which are staffed, if not run, by drug thugs who have had their records expunged, but have retained their MDs, is even worse. Given FSPHP's aversion to open dialogue, numerous invitations made, and one PHP's persistent refusal to provide records of its operations, its evaluation, and the laws governing it, these latest requests made in the context of its possible role in a serious PHI, Protected Health Information, breach by its boundarylessly contracted medical board. From my perspective, there is no imaginable scenario 
in which a physician should ever willingly initiate going to a PHP. None. PHPs are generally not licensed as medical corporations and yet are conducting life-altering diagnostic evaluations or screenings whose results they refuse to share with physicians but which results they freely disclose to boards which then order unquestioning compliance with whatever the PHP says, presumably including brain biopsy if they so chose. And I write this only in slight jest. Visit Florida's laws to see what a PHP is empowered to do, non-compliance with which will essentially cast you out of medicine worldwide as a pariah to be scorned. PHPs have embraced mission creep. The legislators behind these safe harbor wellness initiatives are most likely completely unaware that the PHP movement has been expanding its scope of declared expertise. That it actually possesses any of the declared expertise is highly suspect. We help docs with burnout. This well-intentioned, uh, the well-intentioned legislators may be completely unaware that there's a movement afoot by PHPs to classify burnout as depression. So with depression being a DSM mental illness and associated with all of that stigma, your newly diagnosed depression is now thus a potential danger to patient safety. And so now you're not just burned out, you're mentally ill and a danger to society. Poor you, let us help you, they exhort. Let us show you some of our brand of compassion. If you thought you were grappling with burnout before, try navigating this. Legislators who are behind these wellness program initiatives are likely ignorant of the precise language of impairment as delineated in the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the fact of its apparently willful misuse by PHPs and boards. They probably also don't know that PHPs and their national association, FSPHP, the Federation of State Physician Health Programs, and in full concert with FSMB, the Federation of State Medical Boards, which publishes presumably lawyer-informed guidelines on the assessment of, open quote, impaired physicians, quote, officially promulgates a policy on impairment that is quite troubling. In fact, it appears to at least one prominent ADA specialist as being fundamentally in violation of numerous essential tenets of ADA. To FSMB, there's no distinction between actual functional work impairment from a bona fide time-limited disability or perhaps even permanent disability a physician's potential for impairment and that affecting their work, and anyone having a medical condition that is potentially impairing. When simply living and practicing your profession is a risk factor for being alleged to be potentially impaired and thus a danger to patient safety, um, Houston, we have a problem. You've created a program it has an endless stream of lucrative customers, not to mention a veritable minefield that physicians must navigate. Speaking of mines, it also appears to be a gold mine for that select group of lawyers, self-described as specializing in professional licensed defense. For too many, it seems they've adopted the practice of collecting ten or $20,000 up front writing a few showy letters, and then telling the doc they've got to do whatever the board says. It's an ideal inter-referral scheme for all parties, everybody, that is, except the accused doc. But wait, PHPs were already supposed to be safe harbors, weren't they? Legislators are likely unaware that PHPs 
have already deceptively portrayed themselves as safe harbors. And yet even now, we see them eagerly offering to help physicians with their burnout plight, while at the same time elsewhere arguing that burnout is in itself a potentially impairing condition that could lead to depression and to diminished patient outcomes. And such is therefore a safety issue. And, quote, our job is to protect patient safety, close quote. It is not, in fact, their primary mission, and this is yet another deception. And they would argue that because of this, that could warrant their emergency intervention and their abruptly breaking confidence, which gives full cover to their contracted board, the one that pays their salary to keep their racket going, to imminently yank that physician's license. Reminds one of a Kafkaesque quote, If you weren't impaired, comrade, why would they send you to us? That seems to be the attitude. So everyone who walks through the PHP door is by definition potentially impaired. Otherwise, in true Kafkaesque fashion, they reason, why would you be sent, comrade? And since potentially impaired equals danger to society, the outcome is, go along with us, Doc, or we're going to have to release the monkeys, and you know what happens then, don't you? They'll do their emergency power routine and threaten to declare you as a menace to all of mankind if you don't go along. Don't make us do that. Besides, Doc, don't you value your career? After all the time and effort, your money you put into it, this is such a small price to pay. Once ensnared, no matter how warrantless or mistaken that physician's career is for all intents and purposes over. And due to boards and PHP's wall of immunity maintained somehow with utterly no governmental oversight, neither justice nor monetary recovery is available. You'll be hard-pressed even to find a sufficiently expert lawyer conversant in this area. The bottom line here is, once pulled into their twilight zone, your career, your life as you once knew it, is over. And there will be no no intervention by the state because the state has chosen not to see either its board or its contracted PHP as a possible manipulative wrongdoer, if not a predator, capitalizing on its immune status. The state seems to reason it's much easier to let them discipline their own and step back because surely no one wants an impaired physician so let them do whatever they need to do. Even further, very few legislators, indeed, even physician leaders, would know that PHPs are concurrently striving to designate the very occupation of physician itself as a federally designated safety-sensitive occupation and thus expand their authority and their self-serving referral system and establish their ensconcement as the definitive impairment deciders. Talk about ka-ching. Now, there may be a blessing in that, in that if it does get federally designated, you might have some safety in there being due process. Laws protecting the privacy of wellness programs already exist. These new laws that are proposed by legislators seemingly fail to acknowledge that PHPs were already defined as some variant of a wellness program. After all, what does the term physician health connote? Some specifically identify themselves as subject to the strictest federal confidentiality provisions, those of 42 CFR Part 2. They were already subject to federal and state privacy laws. But operating under the protection of the contracting board and enjoying that board's extension of state immunity, or at least giving the appearance of same to the courts, they giddily operate in an environment safe from suit. 
And as seen from the North Carolina 2014 audit of NCPHP, which determined that for all intents and purposes, NCPHP had systematically violated the due process rights of 1,140 physicians it had peer review psychiatrically evaluated over the preceding decade, law, whether passed by the state legislature or enacted by federal Congress, apparently means nothing to them. With a non-overseen program deceptively operating as a peer review entity with completely risk-free immunity, you can get away with just about anything, including career homicide. The beguiling apparition of law-guaranteed privacy. Wellness programs are generally covered under various provisions of law as to their obligation to maintain confidentiality and if employer-sponsored or insurance company-sponsored, to have separate record-keeping especially insofar as acquiring any protected health information, PHI, from participants. Now, despite intensive study over the past six months of HIPAA, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, the High Tech Act, which is the actual teeth that enforce HIPAA, 42 CFR Part 2, ADA, Diverse state privacy laws, federal laws governing the medical evaluation of employees, etc., etc. Not to make your eyes glaze over. I still remain uncertain about what laws actually apply to a PHP, in large part because of their evasive, chameleon like identity. Now, with its or some other entity's designation as a wellness program, Does it still have obligation to ensure the privacy of PHI under HIPAA, 42 CFR Part 2, and any other federal laws? Does it have to abide by ADA? These three wellness program laws are state laws, and if stricter than federal privacy-protecting laws, such as HIPAA and 42 CFR Part 2, should prevail. But one does need to ask, why didn't existing federal laws such as HIPAA and 42 CFR Part 2 and ADA, to name but three, suffice to protect confidentiality and physicians' rights? Why didn't professional psychological guidelines pertaining to the ethical duties of confidentiality and to the ethical conduct of fitness for duty exams, and laws prohibiting involuntary commitment and group practice of medicine without a license by PHPs, and deceptive practice by PHPs under the false pretense of peer review. Why didn't these work? It's vital to examine these questions as left unexamined and simply superimposing new attractive laws Who's to say that these won't also be ignored? It would seem apparent that boards, as designated HIPAA health oversight entities, let me stress that, they are health oversight entities under HIPAA, are subject to its privacy and security provisions. Yet, one may find it difficult to get a straightforward answer to boards' HIPAA responsibilities, my repeated request to the North Carolina Medical Board and the North Carolina Physician Health Program for clarification of these laws' applicability to them have gone completely unanswered, despite repeated inquiry. I'd encourage you to ask in writing whether your medical board is a health oversight entity under HIPAA and is subject to HIPAA's privacy and security provisions? And does it have in place the necessary security provisions as required under HIPAA? Ask your state's PHPs. Are they evaluators of physicians' diagnostic conditions? Are they diagnostic in nature? Are they covered under HIPAA? Are they covered under 42 CFR Part 2? Are they subject to ADA? 
Do they carry malpractice insurance? Who oversees them? What is their policy if a physician feels they've been wrongfully screened or wrongfully evaluated by a preferred program? Be prepared for a long period of non-responsive silence. I'd love to be proved wrong, and please provide the answers you get in the comments. And it would seem that PHP surely would be subject to HIPAA, and perhaps more generally to 42 CFR Part 2, which strictly prote protects the confidentiality of everyone who has entered into a federally assisted alcohol and drug assessment and treatment program, even involuntarily, and even if only for assessment. But they evade this by claiming that the diagnostic or screening evaluation they conducted, well, that wasn't really a diagnostic or screening examination, despite the fact that the board, and the state, and the courts considered them as having been definitively diagnostic and so awesome and unchallengeable in their scientific truthfulness as if the creator had infallibly declared such. Without enforcement and penalty and right of private action, all of this safe harbor talk is just illusory. But as I learned from one public advocacy lawyer, even with laws on the books, protecting such privacy, getting federal or state enforcement of that law is wishful thinking. And further, finding affordable legal representation should your privacy rights have been violated it's another thing altogether. You can have all the safe harbors and well-meaning privacy laws you want, but without enforcement and penalty, without right of private action and access to efficacious and assertive and knowledgeable legal advocacy that doesn't bankrupt you until you give up, all this safe harbor talk is just illusory. PHPs have no clear independence from boards, not in finances, in mission, or in professional boundaries. Not in finances. PHPs may be exclusively, and curiously so, contracted in each state as the sole providers of these specialized services, and which are supported in significant part by boards. Now let's pause here for a moment, just ponder. This is an entity, a state medical board, holding itself out as a state agency or instrumentality operating with a wall of immunity, absolute, qualified, sovereign, and it's giving a sizable grant yearly and that grant is coming from fees, it's collected from licensees throughout the state to an exclusively contracted group of diverse, mostly non-physician, if there's a physician on staff at all, counselors, operating a program as a 501c3 educational entity and they're conducting diagnostic psychiatric evaluations under the deceptive cover of peer review or referral. And they're doing so without a corporate medical license, without medical malpractice insurance, while denying the licensee access to their own diagnostic assessment report, while also claiming to not just the state auditor, but to, to the United States Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, and to all physician clients, that it does not do diagnostic evaluations, and thus is not subject to HIPAA's confidentiality protections and right of record access. But meanwhile, these evaluations conducted in complete denial of due process, serve as the basis to publicly declare a physician mentally ill, substance abusing, disruptive, 
or a danger to society and thus warrant immediate revocation of their license publicly via that board's state-granted emergency police powers. Do you hear any alarm bells going off? Or is this just my PHP-diagnosed mental illness kicking up again? So as I said, there is just no independence, not in finances, not in mission or professional boundaries. Let's take a look at not in mission. PHP's relationship with boards is not distinct, and their joint mission to protect the public is certainly curious. PHP's used to have as their mission the rehabilitation of the physician. How did protecting the public become so prominent? Can anyone tell me out of a sample of a thousand PHP evaluations of physicians, how many pertain to protecting the public from this dangerous physician? This is not only a ruse enrobing themselves in some heroic role, it's an affront to all who seek their services. Thus, with this ethic, this mindset, anyone who traverses their door will automatically be seen as a threat to public safety. Does this not introduce some element of, shall we say, bias into the assessment process? And you wonder why physicians are a tad hesitant to get help? Perhaps for this noxious reason alone, the PHP system as currently deployed should be promptly funneled to a trash bin, but not before it is held fully accountable for the harms it has caused. One does wonder why PHPs have chosen to make their mission indistinguishable from boards, protectors of public safety. Could it be they need to solidify their immunity that the boards have? Again, missions not even distinguishable in their professional boundaries. Board members may also sit on PHP's boards of directors. Remember, they're educational nonprofit organizations. And they may also occupy leadership positions in medical societies. And as they rotate amongst these, like three interacting merry-go-rounds, one jumping into the newly vacated slot of another, who's doing a synchronized jump to the next interconnected board, it's the corporate equivalent of interfamily incest. It certainly doesn't indicate independence of function. It's just the same pool of ideological clones giving the public the appearance of diversity and fresh thinking. One gets the sense that they were specifically chosen for their affable ethic of going along to get along. I suspect not one of them has the psychological makeup requisite of a whistleblower, namely the daringness of not going along and facing the consequences of not getting along. PHP's professional training is obscure. There is no indication that PHP staff are truly trained to deal with these unique work-life stress issues that are facing physicians, especially considering that most PHP staff are not physicians. In fact, some PHPs may have no physician on staff. And you'll be hard-pressed to determine any training criteria for PHPs or, for that matter, even licensing requirements. How is that possible, you might ask? Because it seems that PHPs are desperate to avoid identification as clinically diagnosing entities, which would make them subject to malpractice liability and to HIPAA, which, you may not know, mandates prompt access to one's medical record and also ensures protection of the privacy of one's protected health information. Most apparently carry no medical malpractice insurance, and some, as I said, have no physician on staff at all. How they are able to psychiatrically and medically evaluate or screen referrals to their preferred centers remains a complete mystery. 
How are they able to conduct diagnostic lab tests and then validly interpret them with no physician on staff, with no medical training? Again, should there be concerns here? Apparently, you don't need a medical license to conduct life-altering diagnostic assessment and send someone to the career death chamber. Joey, the 7-Eleven cashier, and Vinny, the plumber, who are buddies in AA, apparently can open shop as a PHP. Making a diagnosis is a cinch. Just have the big book by your side, say they all have alcoholism and are in denial and are a danger to society. Back it up with false positive tests and send them to your preferred center in Kansas for confirmation. Ka-ching! They balk? Tell your people at the board they're bad news and let the board out them as town drunks and a danger to society. Done deal. No more problem. Next. PHP's origin, having likely been benevolent in creating a rehabilitative diversion program for alcoholic docs back when it started to take hold, perhaps in the mid to late 80s, their predominant focus of late seems to be routing people into a preferred, quote-unquote, four-day out-of-state assessment programs. <clears throat> and from there onwards to three-month stays and special cash-on-the-barrel prepaid impairment programs for physicians, permanently labeling their rehabilitatees as drunks, druggies, or dangerously mentally ill, and sentencing them from there to five years of monitoring and drug testing weekly, of course, using that state's PHP's exclusively contracted preferred lab. PHPs apparently receive no training in health law, regulatory or corporate compliance law, or in medical ethics. It appears that, just like medical boards, they receive no training in law or ethics. Such principles as due process, patients' rights, the privacy of protected health information, disability, ethical sensibility, it appears that these are foreign concepts that reference esoteric laws and principles that have nothing to do with them. And there's no oversight or accountability. Further, they have utterly no incentive to become educated in these matters. It's, hey, no oversight, no medical legal accountability. They operate as independent fiefdoms within the state. As awful as this is, and truly it's enough to drive one uh, to insanity just continuing to read or listen, I know because it's enough to drive me over the edge writing it. A definitive antidote that could immediately bring these abuses to a halt is instituting thoroughly independent oversight, medical legal accountability, and assuring due process throughout. But as will be seen below, there's a curious resistance to this. Currently, PHPs do not ensure medical due process of their diagnostic evaluations. Now, I term it, quote, medical due process, close quote, as due process is a concept applicable only to the legal arena. There's no such concept in medical evaluation and treatment. The closest thing comparable is patients' rights. But because PHPs eschew any medical identity, they, thus far, have evaded all accountability as either HIPAA or 42 CFR Part 2 covered entities. And thus, their evaluees are not patients who are covered under these laws. My personal opinion is that they operate so deceptively as to invoke the FTC Act, the Federal Trade Commission Act. But let me remind the reader, I am not a lawyer. But if I were, that is one heavy-duty piece of legal machinery I'd want to bring to court. 
It appears that PHPs generally operate with neither external nor even internal oversight. That's correct. None. And yet, completely ignoring federal and state laws regarding protected health information, privacy, patients' rights, and understandings of regarded as disabled protections under ADA, they enjoy some ever-elusive, vague element of state immunity and are thus immune from suit. Their carefree attitude in valiantly protecting the public in this rights-abusive way seems to be, so sue me, Doc. (laughs) Besides, who's the public and the courts going to believe, us or you, a mentally ill drunk? (laughs) It doesn't matter that it's not true. That's for you to prove. (laughs) As a result of the complete lack of oversight and accountability, some Perhaps all of these PHPs have been using urine alcohol tests that are known to produce false positives and were most strongly and repeatedly advised against in this setting by SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration. In the blog post, I uh, post the reference to their advisory. But since boards and the courts are wholly ignorant of these impermissible uses, PHPs continue to use them. Boards have been informed about this deceit, as have national medical and psychiatric societies, U.S. attorneys, U.S. DHHS Office of Civil Rights, the U.S. Department of Justice, state attorneys general, and governors. All, all have turned a deaf ear. It seems as they're saying, Whatever you need to do to get an impaired doc out of practice, whatever way you define it or even find out, fine with us, just do it. That seems to be the complicit endorsement. While the concept of a wellness program is surely good, as we all know, free usually comes with a cost. And so you've got to ask who's paying. What interest do they have? What protection of your utmost private medical information, your psychological health, is afforded you? And what recourse do you have in the event of a violation? It'll be vital to track the money of who's paying for these newly emergent wellness programs. If it's the same responsibility-avoidant medical societies that spawned the PHPs, perhaps you best politely decline the outreach. While state medical societies often proudly proclaim that they are the originators of the PHPs, they refuse to take ownership of their harms. What is a safe harbor wellness program? Who approves such designations? And so I ask, what anyway is a safe harbor wellness program? Who approves its entrance into the service arena as an authorized program? Now, pardon me if I ask the obvious, but what actually is a wellness program? And perhaps even more to the point, how is a wellness program different from an illness program? Now, We don't normally think of medical and psychiatric diagnosis and treatment as illness programs, but in fact, that's what they are. If an illness program assesses, i.e. diagnoses and treats illness, what's a wellness program do? Now, fine and dandy if you say, well, it assesses your state of wellness and offers prescriptives, even scientifically based ones that shore up wellness, okay, but what if in assessing your wellness, it says, uh-oh, you're not so well, doc. In fact, you're ill. You have, and you can pick any of these, uh, burnout, depression, substance use disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, moral injury, anxiety disorder, PETA syndrome, which is shorthand for pain-in-the-butt syndrome. And they offer to treat you all within the bounds of their professional licensure and training, 
under this rubric of a wellness program. Are they still a wellness program? If I'm the client who went there with burnout and depression and grief from way too much trauma, is my treatment still covered under this safe harbor wellness program designation if my burnout needs to be treated with antidepressant or perhaps even is so serious that I need to be hospitalized with it? Is an individual therapist a safe harbor wellness program? What about a psychiatrist? What if the licensee physician has in fact developed bona fide disabling depression, namely really impairing, affecting their work performance, and is started on meds? Perhaps even, as I said, needs to be hospitalized. Are they still assured of such confidentiality protection? What if they've reported during one of these wellness sessions that they've increased their use of alcohol? or that they happen to smoke pot to relax. Can that be reported to a board or some impairment committee from a wellness program? Oh, sorry, Charlie, that's not covered. Off you go to Kansas. What about many states' overly expansive mandatory reporting of suspicion of impairment? Is the doc still safe if they're in one of these wellness programs and someone newly make such an allegation? Who talks to whom? You can clearly understand the concerns about the integrity of a wellness program being a safe harbor if these are not worked out. Who, I wonder, is advising legislators on considering these complexities? Who defines the core criteria for such a wellness program? Is it just anything you want to make up? On what model is it based? I truly fear that without such careful consideration, the well-intentioned programs may turn out to not really be safe harbor wellness programs, but in fact could subtly morph into some new agey rebranding of PHPs behind yet another facade of benevolence and safety. But we're talking about a whole new start. Wellness programs, you sourpuss, Kernan. So why this anti-PHP tirade? Do you have a chip on your shoulder? So why do I go on this tirade about PHPs when this is all supposed to be about the good wellness programs that are being endorsed? Because without naming these abuses without specifically warning that these same PHPs may now don the seductive costume of physician wellness, prancing about empathizing so meaningfully about physicians' burnout plight, the same harms will ensue, this time under an even more devious wellness camouflage. But here is especially why. I go on like this. Because, raw truth be told, physicians can't risk getting screwed again. And as anyone who's been multiply screwed knows, you have a very limited psychological quota for that kind of betrayal. Let me put it a different way. Burned out, traumatized, morally injured physicians' psychological resiliency is stretched thin. There is no leeway for additional betrayal. Thus, the main good I see coming from these presumptively well-intentioned legislative initiatives is that when physicians do go for psychologically oriented help, and if and only if they seek help from a quote-unquote program, specifically designated by someone under some authority as a defined, open-quote, wellness program, close-quote, under this specific safe, safe harbor-type legislation, then it's fair to say that they may, may get the needed help and get the help with all the force of, the promise of, assured confidentiality. 
do the bills have real teeth? And what are the penalties for not abiding by such sacrosanct confidentiality? Without such accountability, these laws are little more than suggestions. The law governing peer review, for example, the Healthcare Quality Improvement Act, HICWA, looks wonderful on paper. It's toothless when it comes to enforcing physicians' rights against hostile and permanently maiming sham peer review. If you want to see proof of that, take a look at Dr. Larry Huntoon's series of articles on the uh, AAPS website, and that's linked to uh, in this article here. There are so many questions that remain unanswered. And given so many board, PHP, and medical society's hands in such legislation, without hearing, in fact, overtly avoiding, the voices of those who know how these powers have crushed physicians behind the veneer of therapeutic benevolence and the ever-heroic banner of protecting society, I would encourage extreme caution in approaching any physician health or wellness program until open public discussion of these abundant concerns can be had. So in closing my suggestions, what's really needed is a no-questions-asked wellness health insurance benefit for physicians seeking care. Pay for it out of physician licensing fees. After all, that's how PHPs are supported. 10 or 20 sessions guaranteed. No diagnosis needed. Covered. Physicians get to choose who they see. And that would include appropriately trained physician coaches who know the difference between wellness and illness. If they need to refer to someone who treats mental or physical illness, they would know when to do that. If a diagnosis needs to be made for treatment purposes, then okay. Arrange for a different mental health benefits program also under the same generous benefits while still protecting the utmost absolute confidentiality of the sessions and the treatment record. And hold all therapists and psychiatrists and coaches accountable via signed contract specifying penalties for unauthorized disclosure. It must be ironclad sacrosanct. In closing, let me say this. In all circumstances, get the help you need, wellness program or other. My advice to docs, PGYs, and med students Approach these new wellness programs with openness to exploration, but eyes wide open caution. Meanwhile, get the help you need from a private entity whose confidentiality you can rely on and who has sufficient expertise in the areas that physicians are grappling with. High-intensity stress and psychological trauma, PTSD, impossible demands, moral injury. Get referrals from trusted sources like your colleagues. Get their assurance that they abide by prevailing rules of beneficence and confidentiality. And insist that unless a clear, major mental illness is felt to be present, no diagnosis should be entered in the record. It's important you understand that even a low-grade diagnosis of a mental disorder such as adjustment disorder with depressed or anxious mood, which is often given as the lowest level diagnosis that can be given to someone is still listed as a DSM diagnosis, and that diagnosis could affect your insurance rating. Now, if you do pay for such help, 
you will likely have to pay out of pocket, perhaps you can negotiate a self-pay fee. Will you be safe from disclosure? Well, in all likelihood, yes. And that's important for you to specify to that therapist. Therapists are bound by a confidentiality understanding in their profession. Unfortunately, too many are not paying attention to who has a right to confidential information. And they are very unwilling to stand up to authorities who claim they have a right to that personal information, but don't really. But in all circumstances, get the help you need. My fellow physicians, I I write this and say this out of deepest respect and heartfelt concern. You are an invaluable resource. You have devoted a significant part of your adult life to have the right to practice this time-honored profession in the service of mankind. And you have a right to obtain the mental health services you need without fear of ostracization, bankrupting four-day out-of-state evaluations, or career sabotage and homicide by a kangaroo court board. You have a right to leave work for such treatment under FMLA, the Family Medical Leave Act. If boards or credentialing entities ask impermissible questions regarding your diagnosis or treatment, or even the fact of your seeking help, respectfully question in writing their authority to ask such under ADA. Failing their response, you might consider filing a complaint either with the U.S. DOJ, Civil Rights Division, or the EEOC, which governs Title I entities under ADA, and most healthcare employers are Title I. Medical boards are Title II. Complaints about medical board violations would be directed to the U.S. DOJ Civil Rights Division. Complaints about PHPs may go to DOJ under either Title II, because they may be state instrumentalities, or under Title III. As you can see, they're covered under ADA no matter what. If they threaten or take retaliation, get an informed employment lawyer savvy in health law and ADA, because retaliation is explicitly prohibited under HIPAA, under 42 CFR Part 2, under ADA, under FMLA, and probably under every applicable federal law, and it is punishable with civil penalty. And meanwhile, Let's join forces to hold boards and PHPs accountable for upholding laws that protect physicians' rights to access needed psychological and medical care without recrimination and to be held fully legally accountable for ensuring the non-interference with receipt of such necessary self-care. And in closing, above all, please take good care of yourself and let's take good care of each other. Thanks for listening.